The Golf.com podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and payouts than any other site. Enter promo code GOLFING at FanDuel.com to enter a risk-free tournament for up to $10. We're also sponsored by the SeatGeek app, the smartest way to buy and sell tickets for your favorite events. Download the SeatGeek app and enter our code GOLFING for $20 off your first purchase. By far, I would say, of, of the top 100 in the world, Augusta is the most difficult to get on. Uh, I had met three different members over the years and hinted around at golf and tried to work off into the conversation. And it was like a wet blanket just completely fell on deaf ears. They don't really, they don't really take the, the bait there. Hello, and welcome to the Golf.com podcast. This week, I'm your host, Sean Zock, filling in for Alan Bastable. On this show, we're going to talk about some of the greatest golf courses in the world. I'm sitting down with John Sabino, golf author, blogger, and top 100 courses guru. John has played every single one of the top 100 golf courses in the world, chronicling his many trips along the way online at his blog, top100golf.blogspot.com. Recently, he's written a book on his experiences that will be published in May 2016. We're happy to have him here today to tell us about the ins and outs of his top 100 golfing lifestyle. So, John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Sean. Uh, glad to be here. Can talk about golf all day long. Yeah, that, that, that'd be the same case for me, too. I must add that you come here as a suggestion of a former intern at Golf Magazine, Graylin Loomis, a great friend of mine, a great friend of yours, and he said you are the top 100 courses guy that I needed to talk to. Yeah, Graylin's a true gentleman. I met him when he was a student at uh, the University of St. Andrews, and him and I have been friends since then. Yeah, he's... Uh, He's a bright uh, kid with a really strong future, I think. Yeah, a strong future in the top 100. I know he's kind of chasing his own list. Yeah, yeah. And he's quite a, quite a ways for a young 20-something-year-old. Graylin, he's, he's played probably 20 to 25, I know, on his own, maybe even more since I talked to him last. Right. But I know that both you and a couple of the guys were his inspiration for trying to get into the top 100 chart knockoff list. Um, he, he really... He told me all about his, his quest, and he doesn't know when he'll finish it, but I was kind of interested in your inspiration. At what point did you begin thinking about the top 100, and then why did you do it? Yeah, so I, uh, over the years, a group of friends and I um, would go to either Ireland or Scotland to play golf probably three or four different times. We went over and played some of the championships, some of the better-named um, and better-known courses in the British Isles. And then somebody um, gave me a copy of a wooden board um, that had the golf magazine uh, top 100 courses from 2003. And you put little pegs into it after you played each course. So at that point, I had, I want to say, something like 23 courses already done, even though that wasn't my goal. And I looked at it and thought, maybe I could do this. Um, I never actually thought I would I would uh, complete it. Some of the courses, I didn't even know where they were when I looked at the descriptions, and some of them are extremely difficult to get on. Um, so it, it ended up being quite a journey. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about in that board. It's got gold little gold little pins that you put on there, and you basically go one through 100. Anyone that you can get on is, is what you go at. What was your strategy? Was it basically throwing out emails to people 
throwing out emails to courses, trying to let people know what you were trying to do. What was your strategy in knocking these off your list? Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm old, so email wasn't as prevalent um, when I really started to do this. Really, it was it was mostly personal contacts. I know folks that are trying to do it now um, use social media and email and and blogs and so forth, but the primary thing that I did was more or less uh, ask anyone I came into contact with for help. So a lot of, of the way that I was able to get onto the courses was to simply ask people and network, and if they couldn't help me, maybe they could introduce me to somebody that could help me. So um, it takes a long time. You have to be very persistent. But the primary way that I was able to get onto a lot of the courses was through um, was through simply asking people. There's some uh, there's a lot of different ways, which I'm happy to take you through. Uh, but that was the primary way that I used. Is it one of those things where you're just constantly surprised that people have more connections than you once thought, that they can help you a lot more than you once thought they could? Yeah, very much. And um, often you'll just start talking about golf and not really have any clue about um, about what courses people are members of. And it's interesting. What I find is that the people that are the members of the courses that you want to play you would never suspect that, and certainly they don't advertise that or they don't tell people. But if you get to know them and if you talk with them about it, they will, they will um, somehow get get involved and, and help you. The most interesting way um, I got on was simply by not asking. Um, so as I said, I got this wooden board where you put the pegs in it. I had it in my office at work, and one of my colleagues came in. And Pine Valley has been uh, the number one ranked course, I think, since since you've been doing the lists. And he said to me, how would you like to play Pine Valley on Sunday? Um, he, didn't, he didn't say anything about the board. He had no idea. He had he no, just... I mean, he knew what I was – and I had no idea that he was a member. So sometimes you just – um, talk about golf, right? And people, if, if they don't know you and they're going to take you out as a guest, um, they're a little worried, right? You might not have good etiquette, you, you know, so you get to know the people. And then that was a really interesting way I got invited the first time to Pine Valley. He walked into my office and saw the board and said, oh, I can take you out to Pine Valley. How would you like to play on Sunday? Oh, so <laughs> hopefully you don't have plans on Sunday. I did. Think? Actually, I had a, uh, my son had a soccer game. I have, I have two kids. And I pride myself on going to all their sporting events, but I had to miss his soccer game there. That was yeah, one time I, I had to miss it. At one time, I think Pine Valley might have to take precedence there. Yeah, yeah. Now, all of this golf at some point has to require a decent handicap because you can't, you can't play all these courses and enjoy them all while getting beat up. You might lose your mind. Do you yeah. mind... Sharing. Sure. Yeah. So when I when I played the top hundred, my handicap. Uh, so I, I disagree with your premise. First of all, okay. Okay. <laughs> my handicap range from between thirteen and seventeen. So I'm an average golfer. Most of the people that have played the top hundred, you're right, are lower handicappers. My claim to fame, I believe there's twenty three or or twenty eight maybe now people that have played the top hundred. Uh, my claim to fame is um, more likely than not the highest handicap to do it. So, yeah, you do have to have a, a good game, and you can't be spraying the ball all over. I mean, you have to follow basic golf rules. If you're out of a hole, pick up. You know, don't don't uh, take a lot of time. But yeah, you can for for people out there that are potentially interested in it. You don't have to be a scratch golfer to to play a lot of these courses. No, that's, that's really good to know because me and my 14 handicap. Sometimes when you go to these 
bigger courses, these well-known courses, a lot of these exclusive courses too, I think there's a little bit of a I don't belong feeling or a sense that when you get there, I'm not that good of a golfer to play here. Right? Yeah, the only time I had that feeling, I would say, was at Oakmont. I played Oakmont twice. And no matter what tees I played from, I couldn't play Oakmont. The greens are just so fast there, and the course is so difficult, and the rough is so thick. That's the only one I I felt that way. I mean, the member was gracious. We had a great time. But even Beth Page, I thought I could play, um, and some other difficult courses. But Oakmont was really the one that I had the most difficult time on. Yeah, the the pros across the world will find that out this year at the 2016 U.S. Open at Oakmont. Yeah, Ernie Els said that their first hole is the most difficult opening hole in golf, and I completely agree with him. Really? As, as we'll see this year. Yeah, it's a, if you hit a good drive, um, you end up on a down slope. It's out of bounds the whole way, the right-hand side of the hole. And then the green both slopes away from you and uh, right to left. And it's, I don't know what the highest uh, stint meter reading you could actually get is, but Oakmont has it. I mean, the thing that they say about Oakmont is we could go out there today and they could host a U.S. Open on it. It's pretty much in tournament condition at all times, and not many courses can say that. Well, I don't look forward to playing the first hole there whenever <laughs> I will because it's basically asking for a double bogey, at least from my bag. Now, the top course, the top three courses, generally it's going to be Pine Valley. Augusta National is going to be in there. And you had the top, you know, you had 99 of the 100 until you had you had Augusta National waiting, unpegged on your board. Mm -hmm. And how long were you sitting on 99 of the 100 before you got a chance to play Augusta? I think I was sitting at 99 for two and a half, maybe three years. Now, I, it took me about 15 years to play the top 100. So I had been asking people and trying to figure out a way onto Augusta for about 15 years. So my experience is that at Basically, every golf club in the world except Augusta, you can ask the member. Um, you could say you'd love to play the course. You know, maybe you've always wanted to play a, a particular McKinsey or Tillinghast course. And people like to show their courses off. They're gracious and so forth. I think it's an unwritten rule at Augusta that if you ask a member, it's an, it's an automatic no. I had met three different members over the years and hinted around at golf and tried to work golf into the conversation and it was like a wet blanket just completely fell on deaf ears they don't really they don't really take the the bait there now before we go too in deep on augusta national a word from one of our sponsors there are only a couple weeks left to play fantasy football during the regular season and if your team didn't make the playoffs in your fantasy league now is your chance to look at FanDuel to keep your season going just go to FanDuel.com and sign up with our code GOLFING, G-O-L-F-I-N-G, and you can play a risk-free contest in fantasy football, basketball, or hockey for up to $10. If you win, you keep the money. If you lose, FanDuel will refund your account guaranteed. If you're new to FanDuel, building a team is easy and fun. All you have to do is pick your players and stay under the salary cap. Entry fees for leagues start at just $1, so there's a league for literally everyone. To get started... Go to FanDuel.com, click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner, and use our code GELFING. Sign up now. By far, I would say, of, of the top 100 in the world, Augusta is the most difficult to get on. It sounds like they're trained well over there, uh, and that it comes at no surprise, but if there are any keys to getting an invite, 
are there keys to getting an invite to Augusta National? I mean, in, in some ways, um, it is like other golf courses. You have to find a member, and the and the member has to invite you. I mean, there are there are other ways um, that you could get on that most golfers can't um, aren't practical, right? Or can't access. You can become a caddy. They let caddies or employees play one day a year. You can win certain scholarships, um, and they let you play the course once. You can win the U.S. Amateur, right? So there, so it, it, when I, um, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm writing a book. I devote a whole chapter. Um, initially, I had 13 different ways um, that you could get onto Augusta. It turns out there's probably more like 18 or 20 different ways. Um, so it's it's by far the the most difficult um, way to get on. One really interesting story. I played at my home course one Sunday, and one of the regular gentlemen I play with brought a guest. And this was maybe when I was halfway through uh, trying to play the top 100. And as usual, I asked, you know, I brought worked Augusta into the conversation to see if he had any connections. And he said he had played Augusta. It was the first golf course he ever played. Oh, my gosh. So I took a double take and thought, well, how could that be, you know, the first golf course you've ever played? Turns out his wife worked for USA Networks, which at that time did, I think, the Thursday and Friday broadcasts, and somebody canceled at the last minute, and he got invited, and he had never even played the game before and went out and played. So there are ways, you know, if you're a journalist, you, you can get in. But for, for mortal people, it's it's you have to find a member typically to, to play the course. Yeah, they the, the members there, they almost hold like a holy grail in the back pocket that they can – they can basically invite anyone out there they would like to, and it has to work out, but it has to work out at their leisure, at their preference. Yeah, and when they had the controversy about letting women in, USA Today published a list of the members, and most people would recognize probably three-quarters of the name on there. They're CEOs and fairly well-known people, so it's it's an interesting uh, membership. Now, when you went there, did you did you receive the full Augusta treatment? Um, I received more than the full Augusta treatment. So as you said, I played it as as my last course. Um, so I did not play with a member. So I was really fortunate. Um, one of uh, the people that I worked with knew someone that introduced me to a former champion. And, and one of the ways that um, that you could potentially play, which is how I ended up doing it, is I played the Sunday before the Masters where champions are invited to the course and that's the one day a year that they're allowed to bring one guest. So prior to the 2013 Masters, um, I played the Sunday before. So I got the full treatment, um, drove down Magnolia Lane with the former champion, um, went into the clubhouse as he checked in for the Masters and played the course in tournament conditions with very difficult greens and very difficult pin placements. After the round, we went into the champions locker room. There were a dozen or so former champions in there. And it was basically like you would go into the grill room or the locker room at your home club. They're sitting around eating lunch and just talking golf. It was, yes. So I would say, yes, I got the full Augusta experience. Are you just constantly pinching yourself all day long? I still don't believe it. It's, um, it was the only way to finish playing the top 100. I think there's one other person that completed that played uh, Augusta as the last course. It was, it was quite a special way to finish. Yeah. That's, that's very cool story. That's for sure. Now, on your blog, you wrote about it. You called it the antithesis of glitz and ostentation. It is simple but elegant. 
the ultimate embodiment of understated Southern charm. Now, I think a lot of people can see some Southern charm, but a lot of people, they see Augusta only through their television set, or they only see the course through maybe being a patron one year. Is there something, you know, through your experience, were you able to see things that that you don't quite see on television, behind-the-scenes stuff that people would love to know about? Yeah, just a small example. So I, I think the reason it's so special, Bobby Jones obviously founded the club, and him and Cliff Roberts had very high standards. And their goal was to have perfection and was to get better every year. And I think what I described there is really the embodiment of Bobby Jones and, and a true Southern gentleman. So. Just an example, you walk into the, um, the clubhouse at Augusta and it looks like the carpet is freshly laid. It looks like the walls have just been painted, like the interior is just so perfect. They don't use a vacuum cleaner that makes noise because that would ruin the ambiance in the clubhouse. They use one of those old push um, sort of broom type things to clean the carpets. So when you when you talk about perfection, right, people tend to overutilize that word. But, and for people that have been to the masters, they could see it. There's literally not a blade of grass out of place. They have green wrappers on the sandwiches. Everything about the club, inside the clubhouse, inside the pro house is like that or even, or even better. Yeah, yeah it, it's incredible. I'm sure it's kind of something you have to see and experience to really, to yep. really believe. Yeah, 100%. very much. Yep. Now, Transitioning from Augusta to another course that everyone wants to play, at least once, Pine Valley. Mm -hmm. How many times have you been able to play? I played it again twice this year, not to rub it in. So I've played yeah. it maybe five times. I mean, I am fortunate. I live in New Jersey. It's an hour from my house. So from that point of view, it is an advantage to play Pine Valley. Definitely. Now, I read online at your blog that Pine Valley has, in your opinion, the best halfway house in the top 100. What makes a halfway house separate itself from all the others? Yeah, so it's it's a quirky building. It's on the I want to say the eighth hole in the in the middle of the hole. I think it was an old pump house. Um, it's just a very quirky, understated. So what what I like, and if you look at a lot of the courses that are highly ranked, they're not flashy. They're they're just old school. They're very comfortable. So it's it's just not commercial, small, intimate, and just a really neat experience. Well, like Augusta, being anywhere on the property at Pine Valley, you get that special feeling. So I, I think the halfway house just makes it makes it even a little bit better. Now, do they have their own? type of specialty like the pimento sandwiches at Augusta? I don't think they do from, from well, actually, I take that back. So, yes, the snapper um, soup um, is a specialty um, that you get in the clubhouse at, at lunch. The so. snapper soup for any anyone who's going to get that lucky chance to play Pine <laughs> Valley, the snapper soup is the go-to. Is that what you would say? Absolutely. Awesome. With a dollop of sherry in it. Please take notes. Um, now, <laughs> now, in order to play the top 100 courses, it, it kind of requires, as well as a, a decent golf game, a day job with liberal hours or vacation time and in order to do just all the travel. 
how how are you able to fit this yeah. into your life? So when I when I was playing the top hundred, I worked for a large um, investment firm that had offices all around the United States and and even in different parts of the world. So I think part of the reason that I was fortunate enough to play the top one hundred is I did travel a fair amount um, for work. So if I was going to be in Los Angeles or San Francisco. I would try to build an extra day into the trip, see if I could arrange to play a course. So um, I think that helped me a great deal uh, doing that. Certainly, because in order to do this, this is the this is not just the top 100 in the United States. This is in the world. So you're playing on, I imagine, probably five continents throughout. The yeah. Group. So the um, there's one course in South Africa, Durban, which is a really spectacular course um, on the list. Um, there's a course in, in Mexico. Japan has three or four courses, Australia and New Zealand. Um, so those trips are, I just um, paid for myself. I did not travel for work on those. But you need to be committed to try to play the top 100 in the world. There's extensive travel. Um, you need to have a very uh, forgiving and nice spouse, which I do. Um, she really never gave me any heat for, for traveling and, and doing all these trips. I'm going to pause for one quick second for a word from the SeatGeek app, another sponsor of this podcast. The SeatGeek app is the easiest way to find a great deal and get to your seat. Now when you use our code GOLFING, you get $20 back via check or PayPal. SeatGeek will literally send you the money after your first purchase. For those unaware of SeatGeek, it is an app and website that pulls all the ticket buying and selling options from other ticket sites into one location. They know the fair market value for every ticket in the stadium and let you know which deals are better than others. If you have tickets that you can't use, SeatGeek will also help you quickly sell them to another fan. To redeem your promo code and get your $20 rebate via check or PayPal, download the free SeatGeek app right now, enter our promo code GOLFING, SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first purchase. It's really that simple. Now, throughout your trips, I was wondering, while looking at your website, there's a lot of glowing reviews because you've had such great experiences, but did you have any, any bad experiences on the way? Did, you, did anything really put you off? Um, so now you're going to get me hate mail on the blog. <laughs> Whenever I talk about courses I don't like, people send me nasty emails. Um, yeah, there were a couple courses where um, after you walk off the course, you think to yourself, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, you go and play Cypress Point or you play Shinnecock. There's no doubt about it. Nobody needs to explain to you why it's a great golf course. It's just spectacular. There were a couple courses, Medina out in Chicago in particular. I thought a lot of the holes were repetitive. I didn't see a lot. That was really unique. Now, I understand golf history, and I understand the tournaments that have been played there and so forth, so I do respect that. But that was one where I thought, this doesn't make any sense. There's a gentleman running for president now who's going to make America great again. One of his courses I played, I didn't really understand that, too. It, it was a relatively new course. It didn't seem um, all that distinctive. So, yeah, there, there were a couple exceptions. Yeah, that gentleman who wants to make America great again is a, a, quite the golf ambassador, but he is also quite biased when it comes to his golf courses. They're all the greatest in the world. <laughs> now, I think if I remember online, one of your, maybe it wasn't your favorite, but you thought maybe it was the best course 
was at Sand Hills in Nebraska? Yeah, so I would, uh, my own personal uh, favorite course in the world is Cypress Point out in, out in Pebble Beach, California. If you look at courses that have been built in the last 25 years, Sand Hills, I think, ranks about 13 or 14 on the Golf Magazine list. I was totally surprised when I played that. It was designed by Corin Crenshaw, and it is the whole Sandhills region is a really unique region, and I was really impressed by the overall experience on the course at Sandhills. That was another one of the courses where when I got the list of the top 100 courses, I looked at it and said, what is this? You know, where is Mullen, Nebraska, and why is this on there? So that was, that was one of the many pleasant surprises. Yeah, and I'm sure it's one of those things that you'll probably be talking about in your book. The book that's coming out in 2016, it's titled How to Play the World's Most Exclusive Golf Co- Golf Clubs. Pretty straightforward title. I've seen your website, and it's very in-depth. Every course is on there with a review of the area and the restaurants and halfway houses and everything. Now, this book is going to be much more in-depth. What are we going to find in the book that yeah, we won't find so, online? Yeah, um... so... People over the years had told me um, that I should write a book, that I have such interesting stories, and and they would like to see more writing and, and for me to write about it. Frankly, the idea never really appealed to me. There's been one or two people that self-publish books, and the idea of I went to this course, I shot an 88, and I did this, it, to me, is not interesting people don't really care about that. So a publisher based here in New York called me and said, why don't you do it as a how-to book? Um, Do it as how can someone who's interested in playing the top 100 do it themselves? So I organized it along those lines. I thought it was a really good idea and um, put in there, you know, these are the easy ways to get on. These are the more difficult ways. So there are some, some tips in there that are not on the blog in terms of, um, how you can get on courses, how I got on courses, um, with the exception of Augusta, um, where I don't reveal the name of the the Masters winner I play with. I do reveal every other way that I got onto, onto each of the courses. And there are some unusual and, and non-traditional ways that you could get on that I think people will find interesting. I've seen the, the table of contents, and it's it's quite thorough. I'm actually looking forward to just seeing what you put in each chapter, because I know there's a chapter on its own for Augusta National, which I know a lot of people be interested in. So it looks pretty thorough. There is. And I go through, as I mentioned, all the different ways that that you could get on Augusta and then my own story about how I played it as as the last course. And, and one of the things that um, I find really great about the game of golf is how uh, generous people are. People have been extremely generous to me. Uh, along the way to allow me to play the top 100 courses. So any money that I make on the book, I'm actually giving away to charity as a way to give back to the game. Um, And I I usually will go out of my way when people ask me um, for help um, to be introduced to somebody or to see if if they can find a way onto a particular course um, to do that. So I think just one of the things that's great about the game is, is the type of people that it attracts. So that's my small part in, in giving back. Definitely. I like that a lot. Uh, giving back to the game, <clears throat> excuse me, because the game and many other people have given things to you. And I know before we began the podcast, you told me a little bit about the time that you played Augusta and how on the 10th tee, 
you were joined by just some random guy. Yeah, so just like you would go out at your home club or a public course um, and somebody walks off the putting green and says, do you mind if I join you? That happened to, to me at the, on the 10th tee at Augusta. So my partner, uh, the former champion, and I hit our drives down the, down the 10th hole. And Jose Maria Olathabal comes walking off the putting green and says, do you mind if I, if I join you? So my playing partner said, it's fine with me. And he turned to me and said, John, is it okay if Jose Maria joins us? So he did. And we were walking down the fairway and my caddy just started shaking his head and said, I can't believe this. This doesn't happen. This is unbelievable. I think I got an eight or a nine on, on the hole. I wasn't actually even all that nervous on the front nine, but somehow playing with two champions, just having him join us out of the blue, put me over the edge. I recovered and played well through Amen Corner, luckily, but that was quite an experience to take in. Yeah, it sounds like a tough sell that another former champion would, <laughs> would join the group. Though I do I do remember reading that you birdied the 12th hole, is that correct? Thank you. I did birdie the 12th hole, um, which, and, and I say in the book, there's a few holes that in the world, if you wanted to birdie them, maybe the 17th hole at, at TPC Sawgrass, maybe the 16th at uh, Cypress Point or 12 at Augusta, that, that would be one of the holes to birdie. So that was payback for the, um, for the tens of thousands of balls that I hit over the years trying to make my swing better. So the golf gods were watching. I was very lucky. Good. Well, it, I'm sure that and more will be in the book, which is available uh, for pre-order right now on Amazon for $17.99, is that correct? That's correct. And I suppose for anyone who's really late on their Christmas shopping <laughs> and needs and has a golf-loving family member, that would be the book to get. Yeah, that. it won't it won't ship until May, but um, certainly when you're excited at this year's Masters, uh, it, it would be a good read. Awesome. Well, for anyone who's looking to play the top 100 courses, John's book will be available online, uh, and it currently is for pre-order. So. Thanks again for joining us, John. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. You got it. With the holidays and John Sabino's book on our mind, it's definitely a time of appreciation for all of us. We want to thank you, the audience, for all the time you've spent with us throughout the year. Without you, there is no SI Podcast Network, and we definitely want you to know that we appreciate you. From the SI family to yours, happy holidays. To hear all our shows, visit si.com slash podcasts or search on iTunes. Thanks for tuning in this week, but before you go, please do me a tiny little favor and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or at si.com slash podcast. If you're listening on your phone or tablet, the subscribe button is probably right in front of you. Leave us a review and let us know what we're doing well, maybe not so well, or if there's a guest you really want on the show. If Twitter is your thing, you can tweet me at Sean underscore Zock. Next week, I'll be joined by a bunch of Sports Illustrated golf editors as we recap this crazy 2015 year in golf and get ramped up for the 2016 season that's not too far away. Until then, I'm your host, Sean Zach.